Hi there. We'd like to welcome you to the virtual kitchen table. We are Erin from Everlearning, Haley from Taking a Kinder Path, and myself, Ashley from Ashley as Mama and Storytime Shelves. We're gathering to have conversations about family life and home education, most specifically unschooling, which is sometimes known as self-directed education, or as I often refer to it, consent-based learning. We'll be sharing experiences and ideas, learning as we go. We hope you'll pull a chair up to the table and join us. Kind of reminds me of the idea of, um, like you're building in grace, kind of, you're, you're building in the assumption that it's not always going to be perfect. It reminds me of Missy's quote from the beginning and that idea of humility that it brought up for me. It's like, we're all working on this together. We don't have all the answers, but we're, we're on the same team, right? We're, we're partnering, we're working together. Um, I wondered, I had had a couple of um, Peter Gray quotes. And so one of them is about, um, I guess, the actual, some science around brains and gaming. And the other one is something that I think I hear a lot about is emotional regulation. And people just feeling their kids are very dysregulated after um, gaming. And I just have to admit, you know, Peter Gray obviously has a a particular um, opinion on this. So as far as the the quotes that I kind of looked at, there's probably some confirmation bias (laughs) going on here because I know there's loads of articles that say the opposite. So, but I also think those aren't hard to find. There are a lot of warnings, you know, to parents about about screens and gaming. So in a way, maybe this just kind of offers another perspective. Um, So Dr. Gray says, most of the video gaming research to date has focused on cognition. Correlational studies have consistently revealed that young people who play video games extensively have on average higher IQs and perform better on a wide variety of cognitive tests of perceptual and mental ability than do non-gamers. Moreover, a number of experiments have demonstrated improvement in previous non-gamers' cognitive abilities when they take up gaming for the sake of the experiment. Um, And that is uh, a piece of writing he did from Benefits of Play Revealed in Research on Video Gaming. Um, Now, I feel like that would be kind of a hot button to hear for a lot of people because I don't think people think about it that way. The idea that... um, kids might perform better if they game or, or better in certain areas. Like, I think that's the other thing we have to think about. There's so many different ways of learning and doing things, but certainly in some areas, uh, you know, there's, there's been this finding. And I have to say that, like, that's my experience. You know, when I do things with my kids, it is very, very clear to me that there's a part of their brain that is developed that is not developed in mine. Um, and even aside from gaming, it just even happens with all kinds of technology. My kids help me with almost everything <laughs> that I do with technology. There's just something. Um, there's something there as far as um, their reaction time. There to the point that if we play games where it's a real um, strength of mine, like let's say a word game, I I almost never win. <laughs> Because there, there's just something there as far as their reaction time, their perception. Um, so I feel like that's a bit of a controversial quote of his, but th- I would say my experience is in line with that. Um, that gaming really does 
help develop certain parts of the brain. Does anybody else have any thoughts on that or experience um, based on what you've perceived with your kids or sort of observed? My guys are so young. So um, I think I, I do predict that I will continue, like I will see that um, happening. And I do notice now for a good few years now, I'll, I'll pick up on little things or I'll even ask like, how do you know that? Or where did you learn that? Or kind of I'm thinking like, where did you pick up that skill or practice that? And I can either if they, like, if they don't tell me, Oh, YouTube or Minecraft or whatever, like, cause they know, they just learn so much from all that stuff and they can tell me, but because I, again, I'm with them so often, if I notice it and then I think like, what have you been like playing lately? And I'm like, Oh, I bet you that's where you got that from. So I, I do think that that will continue as they get older. It's, it's an interesting way to gain knowledge and integrate knowledge too, because I think um, we, we talked about this before, I think when we were talking about joy and flow, that when kids are in a place of joy or they're in a place of flow they're just those pieces of information are 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 just so accessible to them um and are stored i think on a much deeper level in their their mind so i've had those experiences a lot too where my kids will be talking about something or they'll know about something and i'll be where where would you pick that up and so often it has been you know a game or, or something online that um you know, I guess back to that idea I often have, like, not everything they know is something I introduce them to. And that's kind of like an ego thing over time where I started to realize how many different things they were integrating and, and picking up. Um, the other piece that I find really interesting, actually, because this is a really common um, thing that I hear is just kids being overloaded or, or parents' perception that kids are overloaded after either either gaming a long time or playing a particular type of game. And that could totally be the case. Um, but just to offer kind of another way of looking at it. So Dr. Gray says, um, but research supporting the emotional regulation theory indicates that a major purpose of play. So he's including video game play in, in play. Um, a major purpose of play is to provide practice at dealing with fear and anger in the relatively safe context of play. In play, children learn that they can experience these emotions and can subsequently calm themselves. So is it the idea that we see kids getting really revved and fired up, maybe arguing with one another, like depending on a situation, and that's really uncomfortable for us? But is that part of them playing with those big emotions and playing with disappointment? Um, I don't know, <laughs> but that's what comes to mind when I read his, his quote about that is, you know, they're in a safe environment and is this the space for them to practice with the, those big emotions? And yet I think, again, this might be one of those conversations where it depends on the family and it depends if you have a parent working a shift who's trying to get some sleep. Like that's again, where we have all those nuances, I think that come into play. Um, I, I missed just, a little bit of what you said, Aaron. I'm sorry. Um, that it was kind of cutting out a little bit, but I it was related to the research and what Peter Gray was saying. My take after reading research and even taking all that into consideration is that I think anything that we do can be used in a way to check out of society or to check out of our feelings or to check out of dealing with something. 
And so for me, I feel like if it comes to our kids going to play a game or gaming for excessive amounts of time or being on their screens for excessive amounts of time, and they're not dealing with things that they need to deal with, or they're not taking care of themselves with hygiene is falling behind or, you know, all the things that they do actually care about or somehow getting pushed to the side, then maybe there's a question to ask if there's something else deeper going on. So I feel like gaming in and of itself is not necessarily a disorder. It's a matter of what's underneath all of it. So is, is it being used in place because they're trying to avoid something? I guess that's one thing I would just toss out. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Missy. And I think too, I wonder if there's a, um, you know, if you're kind of observing your child, is there a point, like maybe there are times that even as adults, we're not quite ready to deal with something. And so we even checking out can be okay as long as it's okay, if that makes sense. Like for myself, sometimes I'll, I will have times where I will check out into something online or, you know, there's the whole thing about people binge watching a series or whatever. And you kind of, you're not really ready to deal with it, but you just need a little bit of your system needs to zone out a little bit. And then I think that's where if we're partnering with our kids and we're observing, we can kind of be watching where is that threshold where it would be useful to have that conversation with them or offer something else. Um, yeah. 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 I think, I think so too. I think it's, it's, and, and Ashley, to your point about it being a lot of work, those are the pieces that I think are a lot of work, right? Because if we're not parenting um, in these blanket statement ways, this is the rule because this is how I grew up or, this is what the magazine says or whatever, it does require a lot more observing and listening. Um, yeah. And kind of figuring those things out. Yeah. And I think, Oh, go ahead, Haley. I was just going to say about it being an, an ongoing conversation. If we, if we've laid those foundations of, of trust and, and respect, and, and we've um, shown that we're willing to listen to our kids when they want to tell us about, about, the games that they're playing and that we've shown an interest and we've shown that we actually care and we've got that foundation then that ongoing conversation is a is a lot easier and it's much easier for our kids to come to us with things that they're feeling more negative stuff I guess rather than having to feel like they've got to continually persuade us that screens are okay they can actually be open and honest and if they feel that that yeah, if they if they feel that there's an issue and that maybe um, yeah they're playing too much and it's making them feel rubbish, then then they'll be able to come to us if we've got that kind of foundation and the conversation is more open like that, rather than it being yeah if if we're all about saying you know we're, if we're trying to persuade them how bad it is and they're trying to persuade us how good it is, <laughs> then then you've got to kind of wonder how honest our conversations can be really and how how willing they might be to come to us if they've got a problem and you know what we want is for our kids to be able to come to us for support don't we to be their safe space yeah absolutely and I think that um I've I have um like acquaintances and friends that I know have made that choice to just 
um, stop the video games or, or say, you know, we're going to take a big break from television or, and we're just gonna have movie nights or we're going, you know, they try all these different things, but it's, it's like removing, right? Like they're just, I think this is the problem too much TV or the video game. We're just going to remove it. And I know from hearing from others that when it gets reintroduced, like the challenges return, um, so I think it can be like quick and easy to just kind of blame. Oh, it must be the games that you're playing, right? Um, but I don't think it ever really is um, from my experience yet anyway. And one thing when you guys were talking, I was thinking about, um, and I hear other parents concerned about this too, maybe more so when the kids are younger, I'm not sure. Um, but I can see it with my two. So again, they're nine and seven. And while they're playing um, more so like, um, games where they're battling and there's like a clear winner winning team losing team um big emotions are involved and um it can be kind of I remember early on feeling a bit concerned with like hearing the emotions that were happening the frustration the anger um the upset and being like oh gosh right this seems like a lot um what good could this be doing right um I still it's still happens but now I'm much more comfortable with it because one thing I've noticed specifically with my nine-year-old um, is that it has been a wonderful safe space for him to practice um, working with other people um, dealing with frustration problem solving when he's upset you know at something that's happened and for the most part now anyway when he is done playing that game he's okay. Like he's all right. Um, that's changed a little bit. Whereas my younger guy who's seven, he's just turned seven, not long ago. Um, it can be a little bit of a different experience for him where I find like it's, it is a bit too much for him and he gets really, you know, those big emotions are happening and he gets off and he's frustrated and he's upset and it kind of has put him in like a bad mood. And it's interesting to see the differences and how it might be impacting them. And I think some of it has to do with the different games that they're playing too, and just different personalities. Um, but I'm very careful to I'll say to my, to my youngest sometimes, I wonder how you're going to feel after playing that game. I noticed last time you were really upset and he might, and he does make the choice sometimes to play the game again anyway. And, and that's okay. You know, maybe that's his way of practicing, dealing with whatever's frustrating with him in that game. Um, and I'm very careful to not just be like, don't play that game anymore because my goodness, you're grumpy when you get off. <laughs> um, because there's something in it that he's getting um, from it. Anyway, I'm rambling now and I forget what my main point was. So I'll stop. <laughs> No, I think that's that's good, Ashley, because I was thinking the other night, my guys were watching um, an NBA game. And so not gaming, like just watching. And they were on their feet. Like they weren't, they were talking and walking in and out. Um, and there was, there were strong opinions about, you know, not against each other, just angry about various coaches and whatever. And it, it, it was a lot, like kind of like what you're saying. I was like, wow, this is really a lot. Um, and then it was like, and then it's fine. Like it's over. And I got thinking to myself, like if this had been a video game, this is the stuff that people, so I also wonder if sometimes the gaming things get pinned on it that are actually true of lots of things where our adrenaline is rising. I mean, thinking about the like hockey games and like even watching the, just even watching the adults at my nephew's hockey game wow 
<laughs> you know, like people are revved and people are, and but everyone's fine and shakes hands and goes home. So I think sometimes we see this emotion that, you know, even just taking that time to figure out, are we triggered in some way? Are we uncomfortable with it? Um, and the difference between people expressing emotion and maybe kids getting in physical fights where someone's getting hurt, like that's a whole other level as well. So I think it's another one of those areas. Yeah. We just kind of watch and we see and we communicate and um, not a right or wrong answer to it. It's so individual, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to add the piece about the emotions. Um, you know, um, we had that with shoots and ladders and we had that with Uno <laughs> those big feelings of like, I can't believe I lost again. Um, But what I think can happen with all, all experiences when emotions are high is that the children learn what they can and can't get away with, with other kids. And that creates a very good feedback loop of this is appropriate and this is not, or I can go here with this person, but this person says, no, thank you. I'm off the game. And, you know, these are great learning experiences that, like you said, can be done safely in the confines of your own home so that then they can translate out into the bigger world. And the more that the kids have those opportunities to have their big feelings, the more they realize where they need to curb it or maybe where they need to tamp down a little bit. So if we're always worried about the big feelings, then they never really get to practice them. And I I want them to practice them as much as possible in various different uh, in various different activities and environments. So gaming can definitely do that. <laughs> it can bring it all out. And if I can quickly add too, I'm just thinking, um, I actually started playing a game, um, uh, Roblox Bed Wars um, is a favorite with my two. And that's one that I've started playing with them just a little bit. I don't really know what I'm doing, but they like that I'm in the game and I'm trying and they love that they're teaching me. But It was my own experience of playing that specific game where, you know, you spend a lot of energy in that game, like, um, I don't know, gaining inventory and like doing quite a bit of work. And then like you can fall into the void and lose it all. And I was experiencing by playing this, those big emotions. (laughs) So experiencing that firsthand because I joined them in that game, it it made it um, less likely for me to observe them playing and having those big emotions in that game and kind of being like, thinking things like, oh, you can't handle that game, or you're getting way too upset for a game, because I've experienced it myself. Um, It was probably still different, because I'm an adult. Um, But it's not like I was playing that game, having those feelings. And, and, you know, maybe I would say things like out loud to be like, oh, that was so frustrating. But okay, it is just a game, but not in a in a brushing it off sort of way. Do you know what I mean? Like, because I joined them, I was able to be like, well, I can I can understand better now why I'm seeing those big emotions when you play that game and games like that. Yeah, that, you know what, it, that reminds me, um, and Missy, your point too, so much so, uh, someone that we know, like a family friend that we're close to, and their, their son had been going through a period of time, I don't know, maybe 11 or 12 years old, and he was just having a lot of, of, of trouble, like if things didn't go well at a golf game, you know, that golf club would get fired off or whatever and a lot of trouble with frustration and competition um and this had been a source of like it was a difficult time in a lot of different ways with a lot of different sports 
And interestingly, he was playing, he got really engaged in online gaming. And this was a concern that the mom shared with me. Um, but what ended up happening was he was, he went to join in one day and a couple of his friends said, we actually don't want you on our team because it's just too intense for what we're trying to do. And we're not that keen on how competitive you're getting and the language you're using and whatever. And that was like, that was the game changer, (laughs) you know, not his parents kind of trying to work through everything. It was that natural experience of recognizing that he wasn't going to be able to engage in the type of gameplay he wanted if he didn't figure things out in a different way. And he might've been able to find a team that didn't care. And that would have been fine too. Like maybe they would have been intense and whatever, but these were a couple of buddies from school. He wanted to be able to play with them. Um, And so it really was kind of just letting that play out until some of those natural consequences took place. Now, I think it was still good that his parents, I mean, it wasn't the first time he'd heard it, you know, they, because I do think our kids want to know what social expectations could possibly be out there. I don't, I don't think it makes sense to just never mention, you know, if, if something's feeling off, but it really didn't have the same effectiveness. Um, until it affected his, his gameplay. So it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely an opportunity to play with all those limits, both your own limits and socially. Right. So it's, yeah. Um, I wondered if we wanted to talk, I would be interested in hearing your thoughts. I don't really know what my thoughts are (laughs) on young kids and, and, and I'm going to say screens because not just gaming, but even just TV, Um, I mean, now we have the capacity, kids riding in cars, kind of movies playing, you know, you can go out for dinner and give your toddler your phone. There's so many times that kids can have screens now. And that is a little bit different from when my kids were little, like we did have some screens, but not, not to the degree that, that people have access to now. So I wonder a little bit, um, when we're talking a lot about these benefits to having, you know, a fair bit of freedom and a fair bit of agency, you know, do we feel like there's an age that that starts? Do we feel like in toddlerhood, that's a good idea? Um, I'll just read a little piece from, just see if I can find it here. So this is from Sue Elvis and she had written um, a blog post called Younger Unschoolers. What about technology and screen time? And I'm always conscious a little bit because I'm reading these pieces out of context. So if you know Sue's writing, you know that she really advocates for relationship and not just arbitrary rules. So she was doing some of her own reflection. Um, And she was talking about, I think, the era that her kids grew up in as well. And so, you know, fewer screens. So yes, they had a TV and then eventually I think they had a computer, but a lot of the time was, was spent outside. So she was kind of pondering um, this maybe from the same perspective that I have been. So she says, what could young kids, oh, sorry, but could young kids first need to experience the real world before they head out into the virtual one? Could it be important for them to do real things with real people? Feel, smell, taste, touch, see, talk build connections with the people in their family and share life with them. Um, So again, I'll link the fuller uh, conversation about that. 
but that is something that I think about and I wonder about because I do think that so much of, of young children, their learning is um, tactile and tradition, you know, storytelling and books and conversation and, you know, outdoor time, getting a chance to see grow. Um, Now at that time, I actually remember this blog post and I had commented back to Sue I don't disagree with that, but I had just added another piece that for my family, especially one of my kids who watched a lot of TV, TV was a springboard to a lot of other things. So TV was very rarely passive for him. It was, he'd get inspired by characters and then he'd be grabbing materials to kind of build his own version of it. Or he would watch an episode of something and then I would see it coming out in his pretend play later that day he's creating his own world you know um my my husband watched a lot of nascar and so he would spend all this time setting up all his my son not my husband (laughs) would spend all this time setting up his cars and then create recreating a race and he'd make up dances to a lot of the music he loved music so i felt like for us children's tv actually was a very rich experience for him because he, it was just kind of part of his world. And, you know, if we were at the library and we saw a book that was related to a character, you know, one of the shows that was just so exciting too. So anyway, it, it was all good. Sue and I had this conversation and, and we kind of agreed this both, I think it's both true. Um, but it's probably just being cognizant of how we use, how are we thinking about those quote screens are they for us are they for the kids again are we engaging with them in things you know so a lot of the dances that my son knew for example I also knew the routine (laughs) we would you know we would be part of things together um or if I wasn't part of things I would at least be facilitating that you know I can remember him getting into the uh the Mm -hmm. land Mine was a big like dinosaur series and so he would want to be getting cereal out to create all these all this food for the herbivores. And so part of that for me is, was just observing that and making that available. Sure. We can use some of the cereal for, you know, whatever, and kind of being, being ready for those pieces. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I wondered if anybody else had anything to, to add to that. I mean, Ashley, not to put you on the spot, your guys are your youngest guy, at least is not that far from those preschool ages. Um, yeah, I, um, I don't disagree with it either. Um, I think I see like what you're saying, both things are true. There's definitely value, um, in, um, being in like the real world with people in real time. Um, and I don't, um, that my guys certainly do that within our family, within our extended family, when we go to the library, when we go to the force group that we've been visiting. Um, and I probably, I mean, I think it continues to be true across ages and maybe it depends, changes like time, the, the amount of time doing that might change. And there's so much to factor in, but one thing that came to mind when I read that quote and what you were just sharing, Erin, and thinking about my children specifically, um, both of them, it's always easier to speak to my older one because I've just had more time with him, so more experience. Um, but I think sometimes real life experiences can be hard for some people. And you hear um, neuro, people who are neurodivergent of all ages talk about 
um, being out in the real world. So I was thinking about like, Aaron, you mentioned how sometimes like now um, families can bring things like screens to a restaurant when they're going out for a dinner or something. And you'll see like a five-year-old with a, a tablet in front of them and they're watching whatever they're watching or playing a game or something. And I know there's been talk about like the judgment that you feel when, you know, you, you're bringing um, a screen to a restaurant or something. But I can think about my oldest son and even my youngest son at times. And sometimes sitting in that restaurant, and we don't do it a lot um, because it's not something that they always want to do. But sometimes that real life experience of being in the restaurant is not comfortable for them. My oldest has um, different sensory processing um, differences and smell. So in a restaurant, right? Um, the, the different smells that he takes in, he's very sensitive to. Um the noise, the noise level and all the different things that are going on, the lighting sometimes um, can just be too much for him. So for him to come and join us at a restaurant for a meal, sometimes he doesn't all the time, but sometimes he'll bring um, his tablet is usually the thing that he brings, or he might borrow one of our phones and play Pokemon Go, but it allows him access to that experience with us, even if it's not in the way um, you know, he's, he's doing something else still. He's still there with us. He's still part of the family. Um, so that's just like one example. Um, but I just even think about kids who are younger and you hear parents talk about like, what if they just want to sit at home some days and watch YouTube all day? Um, and I, again, I just think about how, sure, if my two we're never wanting to go out over to the park or to go play with friends or to go to the library with me. And they stop doing the things that they used to want to do and just be at home. Then I'd be like, okay, what is going on? Like I missy what you were saying earlier, right? Like there's maybe something deeper going on. We need to explore that a little bit further, but for the most part, most days, if I say, do you want to go out into the real world, you know, to, um, you know, not grocery shopping. I'm not saying that, right? But something that they typically enjoy. Um, they'll put the screen down to come do that. Um, so just, I just kind of wanted to talk about that because that's kind of our experience in recognizing. And I think what I want to say too is that with, so my oldest is nine. And when he was like three, four, five, um, going back to the restaurant example, we didn't do that much because he wasn't one to sit still in a restaurant. So we just didn't do that too much. And we wouldn't have felt comfortable at that time to bring a screen um, because we would have thought, well, that's maybe not the right thing to do. And, you know, we would just be worried about that. Um, so we just didn't do it. But now I can really see how, I guess, just how screens can provide, um, I don't know, like a, like a comfort, I guess, and just allow our children to access other things at different times and just recognizing that just because I experience something a certain way doesn't mean that my children are the exact same and experience that way. I don't know. I don't, I'm not making much sense right now, but I was just thinking about how we are all different and we are start, I'm starting to hear more about from the neurodivergent community um, specifically about how screens are such a like important, valuable tool for them to have at home, but also out in the real world too. I guess that's kind of what I was wanting to point out. I think I think you made absolute sense actually yeah what you said was great I was thinking as well though about about sometimes when when we think about um what our children are doing often we have what we have higher expectations of them perhaps than we do of ourselves 
And I think sometimes, sometimes it's kind of good for us to think about if our kids are using screens a lot, then maybe it's good for us to think about whether we're using screens a lot because, you know, we do, especially with our little kids, we get to set the tone in our house and we get, you know, and if we're a person that they want to be around and they want to be like, then they're going to emulate what what we do. And, you know, and and it, you know, we've already said, haven't we, about how the, the range of things that you can do on screens and the amazing technology that's available to us now at a much cheaper cost than in the past and is so much more portable. We do use it a lot. And I know lots of us are thinking about that, aren't we? Lots of us are thinking about how we manage our own screen time. So it, it seems a bit unfair sometimes for us to put a lot of a lot of um yeah more higher expectations on our kids perhaps than than maybe on ourselves in a weird sort of way and I also think one of the things for me that's really important with my kids I think has been it made, made me think about kind of transitioning to a vegan diet which a lot of us have done in this house and I think there's something to be said for putting more in before you take stuff out, if that makes sense, rather than thinking about restricting things. Maybe um, it's good sometimes to think about what 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 more can we bring more the more things that that lead us to connection and joy and things that, you know, more not only the things like with older children learning more about what they're playing, but just um, finding more ways to connect with our kids, rather than trying to prevent them from doing other things, if that I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, again, my beeping has gone off now. Put me, <laughs> put me off. It's bad timing, that. Um, no, that makes total sense. And Ashley, I just want to piggyback a little bit from what you said there, because that was on my mind earlier and I'd forgotten about that. Um, because I think when we're talking about neurodivergence, on the one hand, um, so I'm a little bit muddled in this. So I work, I, I work in the field of disability and neurodivergence. And um, I'm muddled because people are even using different language. Like some of my families want to use some language, younger families want to use other language. So I'm just going to do my best here. Um, so I remember going to some workshops um, maybe five or six years ago, and there was a lot of warning about, uh, gaming and even just screen use and phone use in general um, for uh, people with autism or who who had ADHD. Again, I want to be careful because some of the families I work with, it's important to use person first language and others are offended by that. So I'm just going to go with the language that I was kind of the families that I was working on behalf of. Um, so this, I remember a couple workshops in particular, it was really, really, uh, I mean, a big part of the workshop was this concern about screens and technology. And there was a young man who I was there with, and I remember him saying to me, like, this is not my experience. Like, this is not how I feel about screens and about uh, gaming, I think was, was a big piece of it. And so similar to what you're saying, Ashley, I, I think it can go either way. And again, I think this is very individualized, but I know for one of my sons, um, the TV piece and the gaming piece was a game changer, actually, to it, 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 
it was a tool that actually changed our life. Like, like I can actually think of our days pre <laughs> game system and post. Um, and it really did change the way that our days went. And, you know, I hate to simplify it this, this way, but it's, it's worked out fine. <laughs> you know, we, like, how did they turn out? But it's worked out fine, right? Over time, you know, that was modified as made sense. Um, other things became more interesting. He actually gains the least of everybody in the family now. But for that period of time, there were things happening that sometimes he needed a lot of extra stimulation and other times he needed distraction from what was happening externally. That being said, I don't think that the presenter um, was all wrong either. I think he made some really good points. And so again, it just goes back to really tuning in, not only to what makes sense to us in our family culture, but even the individuals within that family culture. So if I think about that when my kids were little, um, yeah, we probably did end up using more technology at that particular age than I would have imagined us using, but it was just a really good tool. And I also think that we had so many other pieces of our lives, so many stories, so many, you know, exploring outside so many games. It was just one, it was one piece. So I, I do think, I do agree that a lot of those tactile experiences and, um, you know, outdoor experiences are important. You know, I, I don't think they need to be one or the other. I, I think they can be integrated into family life. Um, and I think we've seen that a little bit. There's a bit of a, excuse me, a polarity. It's outdoor time or it's screen time. And in fact, it doesn't need to be quite that. Um, one or the other. Does anybody, oh, sorry, Missy, were you? I, all I wanted to say was it's hard to have us. My, my kids didn't have to experience the screen world per se when they were younger. So I haven't, I don't really have any insight on our particular experience there other than television. We had TV, um, we also have the ability to record TV with TiVo. Does anybody remember TiVo? <laughs> to the point where when we were in a car one time and we were driving by, um, some geese flew over and I pointed it out to my son and he was like, rewind it. Because he was so used to being able to rewind when we <laughs> recorded shows on TiVo. Uh, so that always stood out. A very funny story there. But my gut tells me littles, little, little babies and toddlers, um, need the real world and they need real human beings to touch them and they need to sit in laps and read books and snuggle and, you know, and they need to feel their bare feet on the ground and, and, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of where I lean towards if, um, but the funny thing is, is my kids now, when they see kids on screens, like little ones in the store and stuff, they're like, wow. And then they're like, I'm glad I didn't have that. So I don't know where they're getting that I don't know if that's a gut feeling that they're having a gut reaction that they're having or, you know, what it is about their personal experiences that calls, call them or allow them to make them think that. So it's just kind of something I'm working through too. Um, I have cousins who have younger children and some of them try their best to kind of use their phones without including their kids on that. So it's again about like you were saying, Haley, like setting the example, um, 
And then I also, I, I really appreciate the work. I, I found a book that when we were talking, a hunter gathers guide to the 21st century evolution and the challenges of modern life. And one of the things that they say in there that I kind of appreciated was just that humans need alive creatures to give them real-time feedback. And when we don't have that from the screens, it kind of can affect sort of the development of what it means to be a human in the context of other humans. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I guess sometimes I wonder what that does developmentally to the little littles, you know, like babies and toddlers and stuff. So just a question mark. I don't have the answers. It's more of a, hmm, maybe we'll see one day. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I agree with that, Missy. And I, I feel like, um, I feel like babies and toddlers, I think they will seek that out too, right? So I think it's so much about responsiveness of the parents because, yeah, I think babies and toddlers will seek out those experiences when you look at how much they want to explore, how much they want to connect with us. Um, If they are getting really tied in with with screens as a preference, kind of makes me think, it's coming. It's, it's maybe parent driven rather than environment. Yeah. 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 Um, I have, I don't know what you all have time wise. I only have about 10 minutes left, but I wondered, I don't know if that's enough time. I wondered about talking about social media a little bit. I don't know if we can do that in 10 or 15 minutes. (laughs) Um, and just this idea of, uh, you know, I know, uh, Dr. Gabor Mete has done quite a bit on, and actually, uh, Gordon Newfield, I think probably quite a few of you are familiar with his work as well. And this idea around kind of being peer attached um, rather than attached with elders or sort of that more natural structure. And so I just have a piece here from Dr. Mate that says the most significant change in recent times has been the technology of communication. From the phone, oh, sorry, first the phone, then the internet through email and instant messaging, we are enamored of communication technology without being aware that one of its primary functions is to facilitate attachments. We have unwittingly put it into the hands of children who, of course, are using it to connect with their peers. Because of their strong attachment needs, the contact is highly addictive, often becoming a major preoccupation. Our culture has not been able to evolve the customs and traditions to contain this development. And so again, we are left to our own devices. So I, like, I appreciate that. And I think um, I'm interested in the whole idea screens aside of this um, kind of extreme peer attachment that I think can happen. And maybe the, the, dwindling away in some cases of this attachment with with other generations within our our family systems whether that's the parent or or extended you know extended family um so my thinking around social media is is a little bit interesting i think because i've seen you know we did have some struggles with one of our kids that we needed to really figure some pieces out and i think i guess my thinking is with it though a lot of the things that have always happened we're seeing happen through social media. So for example, if, if some of that, you know, kind of bullying and conflict had been happening on a playground or at an arena or at my house with a group of people, I would also have involved myself 
So I think so much of what's probably always happened with human nature is now playing out um, on social media. And I think, but it's like the stakes are higher. There's a permanency to social media. There's, um, you know, you're, you're not right. You're not right there. So there's maybe a little more bravery that happens in terms of what people say. Um, but I guess what I think about this is it's actually a bigger issue than just screens or just social media. And I think sometimes it gets, it gets tagged and all lumped together. Whereas I can think of a lot of situations where, um, where my kids have really had positive, like real positives come from social media. Mm-hmm. So again, I think it's a tool that we have to be connected with our kids around. And I also think that context has so much to do with it. So if we're looking at kids who are only with peers all day at school and, and let's just face it, it's, it's not just those hours. It's the, you know, most kids are maybe they're either on a bus or they're walking for that hour before school or 45 minutes. Then there's after school time. Then there's teams, potentially team sports. Kids at the high school level are with peers a really long time. And I think for myself, I found those, these teen years have been, they've required so much of me and I've wanted to be there for them. But I never would have realized that before parenting. I kind of thought the teen years were, you know, you're, it, they were what they were, but they weren't going to require this much of me. But I think, especially proactively, but sometimes reactively as well, I've really needed to, to be there to be available, to be present, to be um, mindful and learning myself. So when I think about quotes like that, I don't disagree with them, but I also think there's a little bit of a different context when we're talking about either home education or even families that are really well connected. So so we didn't have much time and I talked and talked. (laughs) So I'll stop now. (laughs) Yeah. Does anybody else have any thoughts on that or even how it feels for themselves with social media? Well, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think there is such a difference between what's the normal course of a child's day and then how does social media play into that or how is social media utilized? And so if they're immersed in peer culture the majority of the time, then they're going to want to stay tapped into peer culture when they're not physically there. So it, it just begs the question. It goes back to that earlier, the earlier years and establishing that foundation and strengthening those attachments and those bonds with the family unit for me. And then they know that they can be out and then come back and be out and come back. And there's still, there's a still a, a, an emotional foundation that was created that gives them, I think, resiliency and an awareness that they might not have otherwise if that was not created. So instead of being easily um, swayed or frustrated or getting involved in particular things that happen online, they might be able to have that perspective where they can step back and look at it from that bird's eye view versus getting really, really pulled into particular issues or problems. Um, Yeah, this is a big conversation. It definitely, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah, it's a big one because there's so much psychology to it. And it also is so independent, it's so dependent on the individual and where they are in their lives, developmentally, 
socially, you know, economically, there's a lot of pieces to it. And mm-hmm. I also think when we talk about it as our own family, we have to remember that we're doing it as a research number of like two or four, or however many people are in our family. So there's the individual experience side, and then there's the aggregate of all the people participating in a study, if you will. Um, but yeah, I do think attachment is huge. If you have a strong attachment to your kids, I don't feel like they're going to go looking for anything else because they're, they don't have a void to fill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I love that Missy, because I think that, um, and that's what I saw, especially when my kids were engaged online with kids who maybe didn't have a strong of an attachment Mm. at first it can feel really exciting. It's kind of like, Oh, there's like a whole, you know, a whole world out here. Um, and so I think there can be that piece to it that can be like, for me, it was quite uncomfortable, but I did see them able to pull back. Um, sometimes it took longer than what I was comfortable with, but it, but it, but yeah, they, they did kind of hearken back to, the connection and the values and kind of by anchoring that they had grown up with. Whereas I think that was not the case for some of the other kids. And in fact, you see adults that go right off the rails on social media, right? I I mean, it's, it's not really just a social media can be very problematic for all age groups, but I think it's so heightened in those teen years because that can be, it's an intense time and our society makes it even more, I don't know, of a battleground, I think. So you've already got an intense period of development and then you've kind of got this, yeah, <laughs> this this situation created by society that actually sometimes pits kids against each other. Yeah. So I tend to think sometimes it's a whole like adolescent conversation and then the social media thing comes in and kind of gets attached to it. And yes, it can be problematic, but I think there have been issues in the adolescent with with the way we do the high school years even prior. So yeah. Ashley or Haley, do you have anything to add to that piece? We've got a couple more minutes. We're good. Well, I I know this is massive and I don't want to go off on a bit of a a whole other thing, but I think, yeah, that it just shows how important that relationship piece is really. And I think when it comes to things that we're scared about, and and I think there can be a lot of sadness as well if we're thinking about um, if we're feeling that our children are yeah are pulling away from us and and maybe they're they're getting immersed in things like social media or gaming that is taking time away from our relationship and and maybe we feel that we don't know a lot about it. There's all kinds of feelings that come up for us, and I know that sometimes that temptation then to 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 ratchet up the kind of control and maybe even things like punishment, those, you can understand why those things feel necessary to people. But those things are the things that are not going to help us strengthen those relationships. Those are things that are definitely going to damage that relationship even more, which is then going to leave us feeling even more scared and more um, sad um, and and on both sides perhaps less connected and that's yeah that's just a downward spiral of of 
not good stuff. <laughs> um, and and yet yeah, we're going to finish. So it, it feels awful to end on that because we're not talking about the things that we can do. And I think there are so many brilliant things that we can do to, to build those relationships. But I guess it's just a, yeah, it's just remembering that if we do, if, if, if yeah, if we put those relationships first, then that's going to put us in a, a lot better stead than thinking, you know, how can we stop that other thing? And I guess going back to what I said before, it for me, when I've had those times with my children, I've tried to think, what can I, how can I bring more connection? How can I, how can I reach out to them more rather than trying to, yeah, rather than thinking, how can I stop that bad stuff? How can I just bring more good stuff into our lives? Because that then naturally crowds out bad stuff. I'm doing the air quotes now. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I think that makes a, a ton of sense. And it, it kind of, um, yeah, it, it really does kind of circle back to the beginning, I think, of our conversation around just staying connected and partnering. And I think probably if there's any sort of area of screens that it's helpful for our kids to know we're not quite sure, we're wondering, like, I, I can't remember the wording Missy used at the beginning, but it was like, it's not a, a quick yes or a quick no, it's I need to think about this a little bit. Um, I think this is one of them right? It, it just makes total sense for us to be thinking about this, um, especially even from like a, uh, like a privacy information perspective. Like I think if we can get, I think if we can partner with our kids that it's not about like, I don't want you to connect with these friends or I don't, if we can just talk about the challenge of how quickly technology has changed and we're all kind of trying to figure it out together, it feels a little bit less you want this, I don't want this. It's just a little more true to the fact that we're all kind of figuring this out together. So. Yeah. And if I can just add um, with everything you guys just said, I agree so much. I think sometimes as parents, it can feel like we need to figure something out quickly. So in just listening to you guys talk about Mm -hmm. doing all of those wonderful things when you, you know, whether your kids are young and you feel like they're spending too much time on screens or spending too much time in the social media world, is taking a breath and realizing I don't need to figure this out right now, because I think then you're less likely to, you know, do make rash decisions. Um, but just remember that we've got time um, together to, to figure this out. It doesn't have to be something that, you know, as the parent, you have to take on this responsibility of, oh my gosh, like where, where have we gotten to? Um, but just taking a breath and realizing, okay, we have time and, and that we can just slow down and whatever that length of time would be, but that they're, we don't need to panic necessarily. I think in most situations anyway. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Ashley. And um, I think just to add to that too, that there's, and there, there's not a right or a wrong to it. If you have two different kids, you know, there's so much pressure from different sides, delay this, don't, you know, whatever. You can make different decisions for different children. And I think when you have that relationship within the family, I think even the kids get that. That's what I've noticed. They see it's not about being equal. It's about being individual and caring and kind of navigating that based on the person. Right. So, okay. I, yeah, I feel like we could have talked a whole bunch more, but we did cover quite a bit of ground. I think I really enjoyed this today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for all your perspective. Um. And yeah, so Missy, we will, I'm going to link um, the pieces where people can connect with you 
as far as your website and your podcast, I will link that as well as quite a few of these different, you know, kind of posts and articles we've talked about just gives a broader um, view than what we have time to talk about. So, okay. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a good night. Thank you. It was so good to see everybody. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thanks, Maxie. And this ends our conversation today. We hope you found it interesting and maybe helpful. If you'd like to connect further or see additional content, Haley can be found on the web and on Instagram at Taking a Kinder Path. Erin can be found at Everlearning. And I, Ashley, can be found on Instagram at Ashley as Mama and at Storytime Shelves. We'd be very grateful if you'd share this conversation with anyone you think might appreciate it. Thank you for your time today.